The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Colossians 1 is where we'll be, and uh, we're, we're actually at the end now of our uh, beginning three-week series of, what's our series title? Anybody know? Anyone got off the top of their head? Yeah, hey, it's even on the screen behind me. It's all about Jesus. And as we've begun our, our church here, as Redemption Bible Church has been birthed, we want to make loud and clear that this church and why we do what we do, the way we do it, is all about Jesus. He's been the secret to our success, right? That we must be in Christ and connected to him. We also stand upon Christ and the promise that he made to build his church, We won't go anywhere else except upon that foundation. And so today, it's this final sermon in this series that we stand under Christ, and he is also the supervisor of our success. And that's what we'll find here in Colossians 1 this morning. We stand in, on, and under Christ. Next week, just to give you a little sneak peek, here's a little commercial break for you, we begin our journey through 1 Thessalonians. So if you're in Colossians, 1 Thessalonians is actually uh, just the next book, it's a few pages over, and we'll be there uh, for several weeks as we, uh, as we go uh, through that. So if you're unfamiliar with First Thessalonians, I would just encourage you to begin reading it. It's got five chapters, but make it really easy as you daily connect to the Lord to just spend a day in one chapter, and uh, you know, tomorrow pick up chapter one, next day chapter two, and just familiarize yourself with it so you will get that much more out of Sunday morning. But here we are in Colossians 4 today. Enough of the commercial break. We're going to focus on one verse in the midst of a bigger verse here. So turn in your copy there and listen here as I read. I'm going to pick it up in Colossians 1, verse 15. I'm going to read to verse 20. But like I said, we're just going to hone in on verse 18. So follow along here as I read. It says this, He, and this is speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." That's quite the, the, uh, the biography, huh? Who, could, who of us could that, that be our biography, right? I mean, that's, that's quite the description of who this Jesus is. Just interesting enough, the, if we kept reading in verses 21 to 23, that's really our description. That's our biography as believers in Christ. Those who were once uh, alienated, those who were once in, in sin. But this is who Jesus is. This is what Paul says Jesus is. And that's quite the statements, right? We just, we don't have time to unpack it all because he says basically Jesus is, he's above all. Here's his relation to deity. He is God, right? Here's his relationship to creation, those things that he has created and he's through it and for it and all those things. And also his relationship to 
the church. And so that's our focus this morning is what is his relationship here to the church in verse 18. But before we even get into that, you need to know a little bit of the background, right? Maybe some of you are familiar with this, but Colossae is a city in what would be modern day Turkey. And so that's the book of Colossians is written to this church that was there in those days. Paul's writing this. He's from jail. This guy named Epaphras, that's kind of a cool name, right? Had just come to visit him in jail and had brought a report about this church and the things that were happening there. And unfortunately, in all the things that he is, is telling them, there's also some bad news. There's some things like there's, there's some uh, false teaching that's happening. And it's really kind of hard to wrap our minds around like what exactly is it? It wasn't just like this one sect of people or these false teachers that had come in. There's really this kind of mix of, of false teaching that, that has infiltrated and just made its way into the church. You know, kind of sneaky like maybe that this one guy, you know, maybe have you heard this other teacher and what he has to say about the creation of the world? Or have you heard what this other guy has to say about how we should live our life? And based on those things now, then with these new teachings of Jesus and, and Christianity, it's kind of been made into this weird mix of mysticism and pagan ritualism and Jewish legalism and a little bit of Jesus kind of mixed in. And so you kind of see that there's all kinds of things uh, going on here, these rules. Jesus was in the picture. They didn't outright deny him in the church, but they had definitely dethroned him. Jesus did not have his rightful place as the king and as the savior and as the leader of the church. And so the book of Colossians as a whole is really Paul's attempt in his letter writing to this church to correct some false teaching and also for us to show the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus in all things, particularly in the church. Now, those are some big words, right? Sufficiency, supremacy, those aren't words that we use every day. But it just means that Jesus is, is, that he's the best, that he is in first place. And so Paul's writing this to show them that Jesus is the head over all things, that he is the one who is exalted over all. And this really isn't unlike maybe some forms of Christianity that we see today, right? They, they gather under the banner of Jesus and whatnot, but it's more about a person or a program or a place than it is about the savior of the world, but here's why this is important for us, because if we want to succeed, catch this as we get into here, and we're, we're going to look at the text, believe me. But if we want to succeed, if we want to see this transformation happen in our own lives, if we want to become more like Christ and we want to see those that we love become more like Christ, if we want to see disciples made, the Great Commission fulfilled, if we want to see more churches planted, the nations reached with the gospel, then we cannot forget who supervises this whole show. We cannot forget the one who oversees and sets the course for our success. And so let's look now and see where does that come from? Why does he make these statements for us? And so like I said, hone in now on verse 18. Look at these few statements here. He says he is the head. And so we would say it like this. Jesus is the boss. Submit to him. Jesus is the boss submit to him. He's saying like this, he is the head of the body. This is a pretty common uh, illustration or picture in the scriptures, isn't it? 
Uh, he uses it of marriage and of, of the marriage relationship. He, uh, he also uses it here in the church that we are a body, right? The people of God, us who are gathered here together, we are like a body, each with a unique function, each with a unique role, working together, coordinating together for the glory of God and the, the betterment of, of those around us, right? For the good of those that we have to, that we, we get to connect with, right? And so he's using this here. He's saying we're working together but who's the head of this body? It's Jesus. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the, the visionary. He's the one who points us in the right direction. There ain't nobody else in here that can occupy that place, that body part. Jesus is the head of the body. And like I said, this happens each and every Sunday in here as we as ministry teams and people gather to, to do this thing, to, to worship God collectively. The body also happens throughout the week as we are meeting together and doing the things that we must do uh, to, to uh, help one another and to be involved in one another's lives and, and to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. But this is happening week in, week out, here as we gather in in-homes with one another. And so Jesus is this boss. He is the head Right? And this, this isn't necessarily an uncommon thing. It's not like it only happens in the scriptures, right? Like look at team sports. You know, anybody involved in team sports, soccer, football, all those things. You have a coach, right? You have the one who calls the plays and then everybody else has their roles, their positions, the things that they do, their assignments that they must keep in order to succeed, in order to advance the ball down the field, in order to score or in order to do whatever uh, they are trying to accomplish. They do their assignment and when they all work together, then hopefully success comes, right? But if you have the guy who calls the plays and everyone's like, eh, I don't really want to block that guy. He's too big and scary looking. I'm going to go after this smaller guy, right? The play gets blown up. Success doesn't happen and you can't get him, right? Happens in sports. It happens in professional kitchens, right? You have the head chef who, who uh, he runs the show or she runs the show. She uh, makes the recipes. She, she uh, sets the, the menu. It's her, uh, her kind of brain child, her leadership behind it. And then there's the sous chef and the line cooks and the dishwashers and everybody doing their thing in order to serve people well and feed them. The military works this way, right? The military, those of you who serve in the military, thank you for doing that for us. There's ranks, each person doing their job, taking their direction from their CO that takes their direction from the next person up. You know, if you're in the, the Navy, you, you know, that got the admiral that kind of sits at the top of the chain or your general in the army or whatnot. And they're taking their orders from the secretaries who from the commander in chief. And so there is a head and there's the body in these things and in the church. And, you know, these things are, this is this is what we call headship. This is just a normal part of life. This is a normal part of relationship. These roles that complement work together and they're just woven into the fabric of created order for our good. They're common and necessary for humanity to survive. And so we, submission is, is good and right. It's not something to be feared. It's something that is actually good when our leader is a good, merciful, gracious God. Good leader equals glad submission when there's protection, provision involved. And that's what we have here. He's saying, God, in Christ Jesus, he is the head of the church. And so let me be very clear. Let me be very clear this morning. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. It is not me. 
He is the chief shepherd. I'm just an under shepherd. I may be the lead pastor and, and the quarterback here uh, doing our things. Our leadership here is, is uh, we're taking our cues from the Lord. That it is Christ Jesus who is the head. He is the senior pastor and the chief shepherd of what we do here. And so the, the, that just brings up questions, doesn't it? Like, how do we practically do that? How do you like, you know, like, he's not the one that's here preaching. He's not the one, you know, that's, I'm just a messenger. Just take his word. Just let it out. I don't have an opinion. I don't have an agenda. I'm just preaching God's word here. But how do we practically do this? How does this play out? How do we submit to the Lord? How is Jesus our senior pastor? Well, it comes really through four commitments. This is going to be pretty simple. You're going to be like, oh, well, that makes sense. But it first comes through a commitment to prayer. Commitment to prayer. When we pray, it shows our dependence. When we pray, it shows that it uh, that we have these uh, that we are needy and dependent upon God. We're saying, God, you need to help me. We are phoning into the Lord, saying, God, help us in this church. This is why we have scheduled days of prayer. This is why we have scheduled seasons of prayer. This is why we call one another to prayer because we have this unhindered access and this shows our dependency upon God himself. And so we are committed here as a church to prayer as we practically submit to the head of this church. It also comes out, how do we do this? It's a commitment to the scriptures. Like I just said, this is why we preach expositionally. This is why we just go to God's word. We don't jump around. We just preach from God's word. We let it out. We find the original meaning and we just want to lay the authority of God's word before you as the treasure that it is. This is how he has spoken to us. This is how God speaks to us today. If you're saying, God, I need an answer. Why won't you speak to me? I need, want, will you show me a sign? It's right here. It's in the scriptures. This is where we have the revelation of Christ Jesus. Look, there's, uh, look at Hebrews 1. It says this beautifully here. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? He spoke to us by the prophets, those things that we have recorded in the Old Testament. But in these last days, that's today, he has spoken to us by his Son, by Jesus, through whom he appointed the heir of all things. Look at this language. It's similar to what we saw in Colossians. Through whom he also created the world. And he, this is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. As we see Jesus, he is, he's the radiance. This is God's glory. He is the heat of, to, of that is to fire. When you have fire, what does it emanate? It emanates heat and God's glory. Here we see Jesus emanating from the God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, that's what he did on the cross. Where is he now? He has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because it was finished. Job done. What do you do after a hard day's work? You go and you sit down and rest. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is a more excellent name than theirs. This is why we are committed to the scriptures because it's what shows us Jesus. This is where we go for all the help that we need in life and godliness because it has the answer. It's what points to, it points life to, uh, life to us. We're committed to the scriptures. We're also committed to elders and deacons. This is how we practically submit to God. This is how we practically make Christ the head of our church 
is we just follow the simple directions that God gave us in the scriptures in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and Acts 20 and other places of these plurality of men who are called and who are competent and who are, have the character to lead God's church where it's never just about one man but a many, a plurality of people dependent upon the God-man. That's why we lead this way. That's why we follow these, these uh, instructions from God, these men, who, these elders who lead us in spiritual matters, who lead us in the direction and the doctrine and the discipleship and the discipline of the church and those deacons who lead us in taking care of the physical, benevolent, mercy-filled needs of our church. And so as God raises those up, brings those, those people together, then we get to serve and follow the chief shepherd together as we seek God. You should know just in our church here, just put it before you. I'm one of the elders. And then Josh DeConing and Treb Sasser, two guys who actually are our sending church or planting church in Harvest San Antonio are our elders. So there's already a plurality until we watch God raise up others to fill these roles and we can, uh, those guys can roll off. Fourth and final way, how do we practically submit to the head of our church? It's through a commitment to one another. It's through a commitment to one another. Jesus has to be the head of something physical, right? It, we're a body united and coordinated. And so as we commit to one another, as we, as we join together as a church saying, I'm committed to these people, that shows that, hey, we are submitted to the authority of Christ because he died, he left the church for the, uh, entrusting us with the gospel and the truth and the advancement of that gospel and that truth through to the nations. And so we commit together, we join together through organized things like membership. That's why we have step one, step two, step three. It's why we gather as ministry teams. It's not just one person setting up all these things and brewing all the coffee and serving in redemption kids and all those things. We have teams of people that have committed together to serve and to use the gifts that God has given them for uh, the advancement of the gospel and to see disciples made. We also commit to, together through small groups. And those things are, are coming. We're, we're developing those things and re, uh, raising up leaders to lead us in a small group ministry. And so if you're excited about that, continue to be excited because it's coming. It's on the docket. We are, we are excited to begin to roll those out in the coming months. And so we are committed to one another. And that's just a practical expression of us submitting to the head of the church, to the boss, to the one who's, who's the head of this body. And so we're saying, I want to be a part of this body. I want to be a part of these people. And so we get to commit to one another because he's the head, the body, the church. But look at this second statement now. This statement in line with all these things are really is connected, but he says, he is the beginning. And so what do we say? Jesus is the beginning follow him. Jesus is the beginning. Follow him. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now that's kind of an interesting statement, right? It's a little more odd. You know, what is this all about beginning and the firstborn from the dead? Why does that, what does that have to do with anything? Like, what are, what are we talking about here? And there's really kind of two options. One is that he's speaking of an age or the, the birth order that he was literally the firstborn. Any firstborns in the house this morning? Yep. 
I am. Anybody, a, you know, kind of that prototypical, you know, type A uh, firstborn? Yeah, some of us probably are. So is he speaking of that, that Jesus was literally the one that was firstborn from the dead? And he's speaking here of the resurrection, right? That Jesus, he died and then he rose again. So Jesus being the first one to do that. Or is he speaking of rank, that he is the supreme one, that he is the firstborn, that he, out of everybody that has or will rise from the dead, that he is in rank, he is number one, that he is above all things. Well, out of those two options, there's probably truth in both. Because he did, you know, raise first. He was the first one in, in that regard. But, but the thrust here is really on the second. That's what he means by the preeminent one. And all these things in the greater context, that's why I read it to you, was that he is the firstborn. He is the best. He is the preeminent one. And so this is, this is actually really kind of a cool statement here because he's the firstborn from the dead, just pointing to what we all hope for. Don't we all long for that day when we will receive our glorified bodies, when Christ will return and, and uh, all things will be made new and we can shuck off these things that are, you know, dying and going away and uh, decaying and, you know, will one day be in the ground. Now we'll rise again with a new glorified body just like Christ did uh, there in the New Testament. That's a great day. I was reminded of that especially this week. And so I got some, some news that uh, I had to go to the eye doctor for the last few weeks. My, eyes, my eyesight's been going. That's why I have new glasses today all that. And uh, um, I, I mean, I haven't been able to see forever. I got glasses when I was in kindergarten. So my eyesight being bad, it's not a new thing. But my left eye, a little, little wonky and uh, still is kind of. So I went to the eye doctor last Friday and then I got a call this week. My doctor said, oh yeah, uh, not so good news. Your retina is detaching from your eye. Whoa, well, that's not good. You're right. Um, so that's why you've had it. And it's stress related. Have you had anything stressful going on in your life lately? <laughs> It's like, well, Dr. Tompkins, uh, as a matter of fact, and she, she knows uh, what we talked about. It's like, yeah, playing a church. She's like, well, you know, this might go without saying, but you, got, you have to take it easy, you know, for the next few weeks. You got to, like, uh, you can't do anything stressful. You need to just uh, have a good diet and uh, get some exercise and good sleep and all those things. And then come back in four weeks. We'll do some more tests and we'll see if it's increasing or decreasing. And uh, like, okay, fine. You know, so... Well, I'm not going to stop pastoring, so don't worry. Y'all aren't stressful. I don't feel stressed. That's the problem. I don't feel stressed. I'm, I, like, this is what I love to do. I love preaching God's word. I love pastoring. I love shepherding. I love planting. These are the things that I love. It's just my body doesn't like all the stress and late nights and early mornings and when I'm thinking about things. And so even though my soul isn't feeling it, my body is like saying, hey, you know, like freaking out here. Um, s- slow down. So I can't wait like, I've had bad vision, you know, practically my whole life. And I can't wait for this day when I'll be able to see perfectly without these dumb things on. And even when I got these things on, I can't hardly see anyways, you know. And now, you know, my body's breaking down. I can't, you know, my wife actually ran a little bit farther than me this week because I hadn't been exercising. We went for a run and she made it like, she won another, she wanted to do like another just half mile, which is pathetic. I was like, nah, babe, I got to go home. And so I just turned and went home. That might be the first time in the history of our 10 years of marriage that she ran farther than me. I can't wait for a new glorified body. But you know what? You know who's, who beat us to that? You know who's more supreme than all these things? You know who paved the way for that, that we could know and love that? It's Jesus. 
Jesus is the beginning. He led the way. And this is that, that gospel hope that we have, that Jesus, he paved the way. He died. He rose again. Now he's glorified. He's sitting at the, at the right hand of God because his work here was finished in that. Now he's interceding on our behalf. And that's the gospel hope that we have in Christ Jesus. What he did for us in the past, what he's doing for us now as we can live an abundant life saying no to sin and yes to righteousness and that future hope that we have also of being with him for eternity in resurrected glorified bodies. That's the gospel. That's what we, that's our, that's our hope that we have. That's why we repent of our sins and God, I want that, but I know that I can't, that my sin has separated my, myself from you, but my faith is in Christ the head, the Lord, the master of my life. And I want a part of that. And that can be yours. If you don't know that gospel hope, today can be the day that that all changes. Because Jesus is supreme. Whether you like it or not, he's the originator, he's the source, and he's the supervisor of all creation and the church. His resurrection was proof of that. And so we could say it this way. We say, Jesus is the founder. Jesus is the founder of this church. Have y'all seen the movie, The Founder? Anybody seen that? It came out recently. It's the story of McDonald's. Y'all seen it? Some of you are probably like, I don't want anything to do with McDonald's, so I didn't watch that movie. You should watch the movie, but it's strange. Even if you've never eaten at McDonald's, you're watching it about halfway through, you're like, it's like, hey, babe, well, you know, maybe we should go get some McDonald's someday. <laughs> like, this is... Just try it. I haven't had it in several years, but maybe we just go try it. So we didn't that night, but guess what we did the next day? Yeah, we got McDonald's. Um, although the movie in itself is, is not great. Do you know the story of McDonald's and how it was founded and all that? The two McDonald's brothers over in California, they were the brainchild, the geniuses behind fast food service. They were the guys behind it. They, they, they developed all the processes and, and all those things. And then this guy, Ray Kroc, who is a milkshake machine salesman, get, connects with them as he's trying to sell things or whatnot. And to make the long story short, before you know it, he has totally undercut them and, uh, and pushed them out and begins calling himself the founder of McDonald's. It's really a quite sad story. He made, you know, boatloads of money in doing so, but uh, he called himself the founder and the brainchild behind it. God help our church to never steal the show from Jesus. God help us to never be in that same place to take credit that is only due to the founder, to the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. I am not the founding pastor. There are no founding members here. This was born in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. And so our credit, our thanks, our, what we would only say is like the unworthy slave said in Luke 17, that I am just an unworthy servant doing as I ought as I should, of what God has called us to do. And so he is the founder of this church and he is the originator. We got to be and we are continuing to be the few who do the much for the blessing of the many that we might see the gospel advance and disciples made. We are God's means for the great commission end. We get to be that we are his laborers in the vineyard. We are just his harvesters in the field. We're his messengers in this kingdom. And so let our church, let this church, let Redemption Bible Church always be a story of Jesus at work. 
following the lead of the master, never taking credit where it isn't due. And if we do that, then we will see redemption happen. Then we will see verses 21 to 23 happen in the lives of those around us, those who are apart from him. That's why our name is redemption, because we want to see that happen. We want to see people reconciled to God, to their creator, to their head, to the founder, the originator of their life and the church. And so we follow him, right? We follow the founder. He's the genius. He's the one leading the way. That's why we commit ourselves to those things. And that's why we follow because he's a good, kind, merciful, and gracious God, right? You heard Psalm 145 at the beginning that he is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. That's why we can submit to him. That's why we follow him because he's a good master. That makes all the difference in the world, right? Nobody wants to submit or follow a, a harsh, cruel, cold master, but a gracious, kind, <laughs> benevolent one that's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will, you will experience the, the abundant life. When we do this, when we do this, this is the practical way that we say, Jesus, you are preeminent over all things. Look how verse 18 ends. That in everything, he might be preeminent. It's another one of those $100 words, right? Who's used preeminent in their speech this week? Anybody? I mean, it's like, yeah, the Green Bay Packers are the preeminent team in the NFL. That's right. Right. Or how about something like this? Taco P is the preeminent taco place in New Braunfels. Probably all South Texas. Taco Palenque? Yeah. I mean, you could use that legitimately in a sentence. Um, or Dr. So-and-so is the preeminent dentist or chiropractor or pediatrician in New Braunfels. We don't really use those words, right? We say that they're the best, right? We say that this is the best place to go. This is the best team. This is what, and that's really what preeminence means. It means first place. Some, some of your Bible translations, we're using the ESV this morning, but some of your translations may actually use that word, that he might in everything have first place. And that's really what it means. And so, so you know, Jesus, he always gets the blue ribbon, right? In every competition and everything, he gets the blue ribbon, whether we pin it on him or not. He gets the first place in everything. And this is another one of those things. That word everything, you know, did a little extra study. Guess what it means? Everything. There's nothing left out of it, right? And so the direct implication of the verse is that everything in the church he might have first place, but it also spills out over into our entire lives. Those of us who are followers of Christ, and whether you pin it on him or not, he has first place in your family. How you parent, how you are married to your spouse, he gets first place. We follow his lead and his submission. Jesus has first place in your work. Whether you own it or you just work there, whether you have a place of leadership or not, whether you lead a crew or, or you just uh, follow somebody else's, whether you punch in, you know, from an eight to five or you're on salary, Jesus has first place in your workplace. Jesus should have first place in your classroom, whether you're a teacher or you're a student. How you follow him, how, where you take your lead from, he has first place in your life. And so where do you need to let Jesus have first place? 
Where is it in your life? One of these three things or just as you're thinking, God, do you, in everything in my life, can I say that I am submitted and following you as the boss, as the beginning of what you're doing in my life? In everything. Where do you need to do it? That's a blank on your notes. Write it in. Take a moment. What is the Spirit impressing upon your heart? Where do you need to let Jesus have first place? Because it's his rightful place. It's the place that he occupies. You know, and there's some, maybe a little bit more nuance to hear. Well, how do I let him do that? How do I let him have first place in my marriage or in this relationship or in the workplace? Man, do you know where I work? I don't get to work with a bunch of Christians. I'm not a pastor. You know, neither do I, but... Um, uh, how, do I, how do I let this? This place where I work, it's hostile to God. Now in my classroom, what, I can't just stand up and pray. I'd get fired. How do, I, how do I do these things? Well, I'd say one, it's by those same commitments, committing yourself to prayer, whether you can do it publicly or privately. It's probably better that we do it privately anyways and <laughs> spend some time on our knees before the Father urgently pleading before him. Not, we don't have to make a big show of it. Staying in the scriptures, taking the counsel of God's word, those, the wisdom of the scriptures, seeking the counsel of the leadership of the church. Help me. How, how can I specifically do this in this context? Yeah. How can I, how, how can, as you commit to one another, the, just the counsel and the wisdom, the friendship, the fellowship that you have with a group of people right here that maybe have similar experience in the classroom, in the workplace, in a marriage that's similar to yours. How can I connect to people like that? How can I walk with those people as I want to see Christ have first place in my own heart and in the place where I work, learn, I'm married, live, whatever? But keep him first place because it's his rightful place. Starting with yourself and then spilling over into all the things that, that, you, um, that you do, that you have responsibility for. So what's been our theme these last three weeks? It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. He's the secret. He's the source. He's the supervisor of any success that we have collectively in our life, in any growth, any sanctification that we have. Apart from him, what can we do? Nothing. Whose promise do we stand on? Christ's promise. We are under his protective authority. And so Jesus must have first place in our life or we will lose all power that we have. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. It is this Jesus that we exalt Overall, will you bow with me as we pray, as the worship team makes their way up here?